Welcome to Storytime with Paul Dore. I can hear your voice over the hum. A short adrenaline shot of a podcast straight to the mind, heart, or sometimes the funny bone, wherever that is located. Today's episode, Art Saved My Life. Usually the podcast delivers you a story on each episode, but the next few episodes will be a bit different and include some interviews around the topic of mental health. Season 4 of Storytime revolves around the release of my second novel, Dreams of Being a Kiwi. The story is about a person with mental health issues who travels across the world to find some peace. Previous episodes of this season include some audio excerpts from the novel. To purchase your paperback or ebook copy of Dreams of Being a Kiwi, visit pauldor.com for more information. When I was young, much younger than I am now, I took piano lessons for a number of years. My enthusiasm for practicing was almost non-existent. However, I learned how to read and play music. A while back, I wanted music in my life again, not to perform or any other reason or for anybody, just for me. Thankful that I could still read music, I bought a keyboard and every once in a while sit down and play some of my favorite songs. I believe having so many creative outlets has saved my life. I feel fortunate and regard it as a privilege to have several platforms to put my writing and perform at events in front of actual audiences. But the keyboard was for me. Sometimes with the privilege of platforms comes the pressure to keep churning things out. The music became a place just for me, where I could play whatever I wanted and didn't even have to be good. Art saved my life because I have a place to put these thoughts, however dark or shameful. I can get them out, express them, and perhaps process them. This isn't to say I don't still wrestle with certain things, and it certainly isn't pleasant to write or share some of these thoughts, but it helps. Art saved my life, and I believe that it is so important to have outlets for your pain. If there's anything I've learned in my life, it's just do something. Something for you. Write in a journal, learn an instrument, go see a show. Put that energy somewhere. It's useful, this dark energy. It can be productive. Which brings me to my conversation with Adriana Prosser. She is a storyteller and geeky social media addict who supports mental health advocacy through her podcast, Stories Like Crazy. Combining her applied suicide intervention skills training and Safe Talk certification, she hopes to engage the audience and go beyond the stage and screen to create a safe place for discussion and sharing. She is currently an Ontario Association for Suicide Prevention member. Originally broadcast last year on the Stories We Don't Tell podcast, I had the privilege of talking with Adriana about her one-woman bereavement piece, Everything But the Cat, and all the other work she does outside of the stage. Stay tuned after the interview for a story Adriana shared last year at Stories We Don't Tell. Learn more about Adriana, her performances, and podcasts at adrianaprosser.com, everythingbutthecat.ca, and soundcloud.com slash stories like crazy. Adriana. Hello. Hello. 
Welcome. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I think uh, where maybe we should start is I'm I'm very interested in uh, the perform the play that you've been um, putting on for the last while called Everything But the Cat. Is that correct? That is. Uh, it's it's a personal story. It's a mm-hmm. one woman. I like to call it a not so one woman show uh-huh. uh, because uh, it's not just storytelling. It's actually theatrical. I have shadow puppets, these like shadow actors who act out. Um, my remembrance of the first year of bereavement because my brother died by suicide. Mm-hmm. So it was a very specific kind of, uh, of grief. And uh, I lost everything but my cat. Mm. And that's where the title comes from. Yeah. And uh, where, where have you been performing this uh, show so far? Uh, anyone generous enough to give me some stage time? Hmm. Uh, it premiered in a, a reading at the Alumni Theater. They have a thing called uh, New Ideas Festival. Mm-hmm. And it was just a reading. And, and it, people were really into it. And so uh, I kind of was like, okay, well, I, I guess this has legs. Mm-hmm. I guess this sh- should be a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I produced it um, in a uh, solo festival. Uh, over at uh, the Red Sandcastle Theatre, and it's sold out. In fact, we had to add chairs, uh, so that felt good. Yeah. And slowly but surely, the idea that nobody wants to hear your sob story is factually untrue. Hmm. Everybody wants to hear your sob story. <laughs> well, so that, that's how it kind of came to be. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I totally agree with you, because... Uh, I have some experience of like writing about stories that are that are like that, like a, an unpleasant thing that happened for you. But I found a lot of it. I I got a lot out of it. I think other people got a lot of it. Thank you. For you, what? How did? What was sort of the process of you, like say, deciding that you wanted to um, tell the story? You know, put a performance uh, together to talk about this. Sure. And, and what was sort of the process of kind of going through that for you? Uh, so when in bereavement, uh, for me personally, I dropped off the map. Mm. People couldn't get a hold of me. I didn't want to be gotten a hold of. That's not grammar. Um, and when I started to resurface as it was, um, yeah, I'm very, sorry guys, Slytherin, I guess, um, that, uh, people started saying, well, how are you? Mm. What happened? Are you okay? Mm -hmm. Um, and the thing is, is with, uh, with, with the way that I went through grief, I, I, can I swear on this podcast? Oh, swear away. Fuck yes. I had, my field of fucks was barren. Mm. Like I had zero fucks to give. And so when people said, how are you? I actually told them. And soon enough, people actually phoned me up and was like, I miss you. I want you to tell me what happened. Uh, let me take you out for coffee. And that happened so many times that after about like the fifth or sixth person that I basically did a 45 minute monologue, which then became my show, mm. um, my good friend, uh, Brittany, she turned to me and she's like, that's a fucking show. Mm-hmm. That's a show I would see. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, nobody wants to hear my sob story. And she's like, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I was on a wait list to take you out for coffee. Mm. So mm. tell your fucking story, bitch. Yeah. And, uh, thank you, Brittany. Um, and and so it evolved, and, and, I, and I wrote it, and I submitted it, and, and here it is today, touring high schools and universities, mm. um, putting on like little mini festivals in the name of Mental Health Week and raising funds for charity organizations and mental health organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I've kind of leveled up uh, because I felt like I was leaving my audience, not hanging, mm. but 
leaving them to unpack for themselves or leaving them feeling like I want to do something about this. Mm-hmm. I want to be part of the solution and, and smash some of my own stigma. Uh, and so I leveled up and I got my uh, applied suicide intervention skills training, which means that I can help people who are in crisis. But more than that, I then became a safe talk trainer, hmm. which means that I am uh, somebody who can train a workshop full of people, so like up to 30 people at a time, mm-hmm. uh, and and train them how to help people in crisis find connections, to find resources, so that they themselves might not perform the intervention, mm-hmm. but that they can safely and confidently deal with a friend that's in crisis and bring them to help. Yeah, so um, I just, I thought it was so interesting that you, it, it seemed like it was a natural progression through this. Yeah. Like it was, it maybe started with your own, uh, you know, kind of bereavement and, and wanting to, you know, kind of try and pro- start to process that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but then turning it into art and hopefully the best kind of art is something that can help people and change, you know, people's lives and, and connect with them in, in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And so, um, I was, before I get into the, you know, the, all the other things that are connected to this, um, the show that, you know, you were just talking about with, you know, being able to do these workshops and having these, uh, this certification is, um, for you, when you're doing this show, because you're not now telling it, you're not telling it to friends, the story. Yeah, that's a big diff. So is there, was there something for you, um, like, I, I would imagine, it must be difficult, because you, you, you got to say the story, talk about this all the time in this performance, but you don't want to, so you don't want, but you don't want to disconnect mm-hmm. from it. But then it's like, you got to feel all the feels. I do feel the feels. <laughs> and sometimes it hits you in the gut when you don't expect it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, thankfully, because of my dramaturg and uh, and wonderful people involved in the process, because mm-hmm. uh, I worked uh, with Bricketeer Puppetry to really integrate the shadow puppets, but also to do um, solid storytelling mm-hmm. and not just make it a wank fest, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, like let's not make this a masturbatory monologue that's really all about my needs and my feels and my therapy because yeah. like that's not what I wanted it to be about because that was again my fear of like nobody wants to hear your sob story um they do if it's in a in a in a channeled like a, a focused manner mm-hmm. and it went through a lot of editing um and I workshopped it uh for a while and people who were my friends and people who weren't um went through the process with me to keep the facts but fictionalize it enough that I wasn't necessarily reading my diary. Mm, yeah. So it was a nice mix. But but it's also not to say that I eh, I don't go there. Do you know what I mean? When right. I, like there are days when I can I can say that show and I can authentically and present like I can be totally present and authentic because I don't think I can't not mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because of the, the the subject matter and the fact that it is my story. I will always be connected to it. But there are days that are easier to to distance myself from that without having a good old cry halfway through right and then there are some days like when i went to bishop's university um i was exhausted it was the first time that i had done the uh it's a four-hour workshop Mm. and then i thought gee wouldn't that be smart to then do my one my 45 minute show afterwards no you idiot (laughs) because you're physically exhausted then you're going to be mentally exhausted because you've been talking about suicide prevention for four hours yeah and I also integrate my story into the workshop because I feel like it's, it's a, 
it's a better process to know that the person who's standing in front of this crowd of people who want to be suicide safer, that there is a connection there and mm -hmm. that it's real and that suicide is in the room mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that you have to acknowledge it. You have to acknowledge the suicidal elephant and make him comfortable in your Kleenex padded space. Right. Welcome him in. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I do, I give, I give not as much as the show, but I clearly give hints and I give um, openness to the workshop. And then I go and I do my 45 minute show. Right. So I bawled like a little baby. And my stage manager, after, she was like, so that took a turn. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Bless Stevie. She knows, she's so same page with me that she can just, like, mastermind the show. She's got two laptops at the same time, one for mm. the shadows and one for the, the sound. Um, and, the, and the shadow people also talk to me. Like, I interact with them. And so she's like, okay, baby, where are we going here? And she's like, DJ Mix-A-Lot and, like, pushes the show forward. And mm -hmm. she's so gentle with me because it is such a hard subject. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. That happens. Yeah. I, so you mentioned, uh, you're talking about the workshops. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm, because I'm interested to hear more also about like where, so it, besides the one where you ended up doing the performance after, mm -hmm. what, when you say you're kind of, um, you know, you were, it's safe talk, right? Is mm -hmm. that, uh, so like, what is this exactly? Like what sort of say the process and then how do you, you know, just a, maybe an overview of like what happens in these workshops and then you know, what, what does that sort of mean then in the end? Sure. So safe talk is an acronym, uh, for suicide alert. Uh, what is it? Suicide alert for everyone. Suicide alertness for everyone. There you oh. go. There See, you go. Hey, I yeah. got it in the end. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and talk is also, uh, an acronym for that. Uh, you're going to look for people's tells you're, you're going to, um, now I need to, how do I spell talk? Um, you're going to be, uh, alert, to those things, you're gonna listen, and then you're gonna keep them safe. Hmm. So it is a very formulaic way of getting through a crisis, much like how um, CPR workshops, like when you go to St. John's Ambulance right. and you do the four to six hour workshop thing, and mm -hmm. you get a certification that you can then perform CPR. Um, so it's the exact same thing, only it's about uh, mental fortitude and being open, present, and authentic, and being able to say confidently um, and directly to somebody and say, um, you know, when, when people act this way or say these things, some of those people are thinking about, about suicide. Mm -hmm. Are you thinking about suicide? Mm -hmm. And not shying away from using that word, that taboo, that stigma, that like loaded word, and really being very direct because it's very different for you to say, um, are you thinking about hurting yourself? That's mm -hmm. very vague. Mm -hmm. It can leave mm -hmm. a lot of wonder to what that actually means. So you have to be direct. And this workshop really uses the word over and over again so that you start becoming a little, uh, you know, desensitized to just how loaded that can be. Um, and it gives you confidence by practicing it in the room. Um, and so over the, the four hours, it's a very uh, logical, prog like it's a very formulaic step-by-step -step that a lot of people come in, and I did too, saying, you know, life isn't, steps one, two, three, four, you know, sometimes it's like F asterisk one, two, and then a hyphen, like, right? right? right. Like it just doesn't move mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. But just like CPR, life is messy. And if you at least know the one, two, threes, you can go in any order. The, the whole idea is to get that person safe as for CPR, as it is for safe talk. Well, that's what I was thinking when you, when you, uh, compared it to CPR, cause I've done those courses and it sounds similar in that you you can't you're not a paramedic exactly but you're sort of this intermediary that it's like okay i can you i can help 
this person right now yeah. until um, we get whoever you know is the person that they need that's going to help them. I'm going to keep you safe. You can keep them, uh, you know, safe. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And that's exactly what Safe Talk is: is mm. you're not a paramedic, you're not a therapist, but you're going to get them to safety or bring somebody who can. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm at right now. Um, I don't know if I'll ever level up anymore um, because I have my own uh, baggage and my own li- lived experience. Um, uh, and, and like they call, they, they call us people um, suicide loss survivors. Hmm. Um, and that uh, I don't know if I can be the person who trains you to do an intervention because you really have to unpack that. But I hmm. highly, highly, highly recommend if you are ready for it to get your assist to move from a safe talk up to um, a level where people can come to you um, with their thoughts and their feelings and you can help them unpack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And, and you also, uh, so you also do, uh, a podcast that is sort of in this kind of, yes. um, realm of all this stuff. I'm seeing a pattern here, you mm. know, a pattern is emerging. Yes. Uh, tell me about stories, uh, like crazy. So I met Lori Lane Murphy and we hit it off as mental health advocates. We saw each other's invisible capes, um, trying to be everyday superheroes to smash stigma and unpack words like crazy um, and the fact that it's crazy that crazy has such negative baggage on mm. it mm-hmm. um, and that uh, we would see each other at these storytelling events as well and uh, we thought what a wonderful way to bring that message of ending stigma um, and, and smashing through all of that taboo uh, then to bring a podcast where it's a very casual, very much just people sharing their thoughts and feelings um, without those barriers and helping people who may feel um, a little bit uh, triggered or that it might not be something for them to go out into public mm-hmm. and experience uh, mental health advocacy in such a raw way. Um, because I know that there are some fantastic, yours included, storytelling events in Toronto in the GTA. Um, that allow for people to tell their story openly and authentically. Um, but to be an audience member in a room full of strangers and to feel feels mm-hmm. might not be for you. So to have the privacy of listening to it in your car or listening to it at home or on your way to work, um, that you can have this shared experience of um, people talking about how they deal with, struggle with, manage, live with their mental illness, mm-hmm. we thought that was a really great message to bring out. Well, you know, and it, I guess this is sort of a, a, a this is a theme that has mm. been running through all of this stuff. It's, it's just um, being able to talk about this stuff really, it, it, it does have an impact. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, so it's like even with the, with the suicide pr- prevention of just being able to kind of, you know, just say, hey, this is what are you, is this what's going on? Is this what's happening? Is it like to be direct with it? Yeah. And like with the podcast and with your show of of just, you know, just as it's sending that those messages out there to people saying like, hey, it's cool. We're right. You know, just we can talk about it. Taking good. away all of those yeah. those negative feels and uh, any kind of barriers to your feelings, um, and and um, you know, people talk about how at one point people would be made fun of for wearing their seatbelt. 
And right. it's like or a bike helmet or something like that. Right? Yeah. Or uh like even uh, as something as dark as like child abuse. Yeah. Right? Like we don't talk about that, that's not seen, it's not heard of, and it's not something that we acknowledge, so it doesn't happen. F you, yeah. we talk about it, we make legislation and we move forward. And that's what we want to do with mental illness. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting and, and uh you know, I, I think more and more it's just you know, people are just talking about it and, and with all of the kind of things that you're doing. I think it is a huge, makes a huge impact. Thank you. So I'm really excited because you uh, did a piece of your show Mm -hmm. at our show. And uh, we happen to have a recording of that that we're going to throw to. Um, But uh, before, right before we do that, where can people, you have a lot of stuff online. Where can people find all of the stuff that you do online? Awesome. Well, I mean, I would love for them to uh, click out and look for Stories Like Crazy. Mm-hmm. We're on SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, we have a Facebook and a Twitter. Uh, look for Stories Like Crazy. And I'm pretty much the only Adriana Prosser out there. So if you want to know about this crazy redhead, go to Adriana slash, no, not slash, take that back. It's Adriana hyphen. Because remember those days when hyphens were cool? Sure. That's when I made my website. Oh, great. <laughs> Excellent. So Adriana-Prosser.com. But yeah, check us out, look us up. And I would love to talk to anybody who might be interested in um, seeing the show or doing Safe Talk. Yeah, excellent. So thank you for talking to us. And uh, we're going to throw it then to you. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks. I'm standing at uh, the Bloor West subway line at 6.13 p.m. and I'm standing beside my brother. But it's not him because he died a month ago. But this guy looks eerily like him, like just like him. And he's got this nose that is Andrew's nose. And he's tall just like him, but short hair like he's trying to go business, like he's trying to impress somebody. Anyway, I am looking at this guy who is my brother, but not my brother. And he thinks I'm looking past him to the TV screen arrival times on the TTC, but I am looking at him and this nose and everything that is Andrew. The subway arrives. Subway Andrew lets me on before him. I like Subway Andrew. He's very polite. <laughs> He's got a gym bag. And, uh, and I remember that Andrew was, uh, he was getting healthy. Uh, he took up running just before. He was getting healthy, okay? <laughs> So I'm standing beside Subway Andrew and and I'm thinking to myself, you know, what if I just ask this guy for a hug? Like one stop before mine. That way I squeeze this guy and then I run off and then there's like no repercussions, right? But that's a little bit insane, right? Uh, So I just stand there and I'm thinking to myself, what if I just stay on the subway until this guy gets off and I just get to hang out with my brother just a little bit more? But that's insane, right? I mean, at what point did this turn crazy? The part where I fantasize a hug or the part where I start to stalk this guy? Okay, get off the subway, get off the subway, bing, bang, bong, get off. (sighs) So I get home. I need to unwind. I get into the shower and I sit down. And I love how it feels to just sit and let the floor take all the weight that I was holding. And then I hear the apartment door open and then I hear the bathroom door open. And then I hear my ex's voice. How long have you been showering? I don't know. I got home. I got in. You've been showering since you got home? That was like, what, like an hour ago? So, fuckface lets me 
sit on the floor with him and we just sit days until moving trucks and stale goodbyes. He's my boyfriend until the end of the month. So we just sit. But then the phone rings. Gotta take it. It's my friend Krista. And immediately she starts apologizing. I'm sorry, I don't think you really need to hear this. Well, you might as well. I mean, nothing's worse than your brother dying by suicide, so you can't fuck it up anymore. So she tells me this story. She tells me that my brother came to her in this dream, more like a daydream, because it was really vivid. And she says that my brother came and he showed her this pleather jacket that he had. Clearly it's not real and it's fake leather with that pop collar with all of the fur. It's soup snage. And so he shows her by putting his hand into his pocket and then showing her that it comes through, like there's a rip, there's like a rip in the lining or something like this. And she's telling me that I need to find my dead brother's fucking jacket. And I'm like, okay, what have you been smoking? And she's like, no, 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 it's not anything like this. You need to find the coat. He wants you to find the coat. There's something in the lining of the coat that's just for you. Okay. Okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> So what are you supposed to do with that, right? I phoned my dad. Hey, daddy, do you, I don't know, this is gonna sound a little bit crazy, have Andrew's coat? What? You sold it to Goodwill? Fuck, shit. How am I supposed to ask for this jacket back without sounding batshit crazy? But because my dad is lovely, he goes and he buys it back from Goodwill for like five bucks because nobody wants this ratty ass fucking pleather coat and he turns it inside out. Nothing there. There is a rip though. So my dad, being Inspector Gadget, goes over to the laundry because of course they washed all of Andrew's things before they donated it to Goodwill. And he finds something. He finds a card. It's a laminated card because my dad is a huge nerd, okay? So he has this card that he's laminated of us. It's our family photo, right? We're all smiling. It's even extended family. And on the back, my dad has our names, our date of birth, and our phone number. So nobody gets to forget a birthday. But get this. The only part where the laundry machine has washed away the image is where Andrew's face would have been. Andrew's face was erased. Everybody else is smiling. And it's just like Back to the Future. I fucking love this movie with Michael J. Fox. He plays this character called Michael, uh, Marty McFly. And, and, and he's got this picture of his brother and his sister and they're fading from memory. They're fading from this photo and he's got to go back to the past to go back into the future so that he can save his brother and, and sister from erasing from existence. But the thing is, is I don't have a fucking DeLorean to go back and save my brother. And I don't think that's fair. Subscribe to Storytime with Paul Doerr and leave a comment on iTunes. Visit pauldor.com to read my blog, listen to the podcast archive, watch videos, and keep up to date on live events.
The theme music is by singer-songwriter Arlene Pakulin. Check her out at arlenepakulin.com. Thank you for listening. I've got it so bad. I've got it real bad.